Thank you, thank you, thank you for that, praise team. If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 23 this morning. What a beautiful reminder of not only what Easter is, but of how unworthy we are of it and how good the Lord has been to us. This morning, if you weren't with us in our early service, we looked at uh, the death of Jesus, we saw that it was different in many ways than any other death that has ever taken place. And so this morning, I want us to pick back up right where we left off. We're going to see Jesus' burial and then his glorious resurrection. That we're here to celebrate, but we celebrate this resurrection not only today, but every single Sunday. Every time we gather, every opportunity that we have to worship Christ, we're celebrating the fact that he is alive, that he died in our place, and that he has overcome not only sin, but overcome death as well. So look with me in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 50, as we look to see what happens when God himself leaves heaven and takes on human flesh, and then dies as a human. What happens next? Verse 50 says, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. So here's the setting. This is the setting as we get ready for Easter Sunday, for Resurrection Sunday, as we get ready to celebrate that. Of course, we know that there's no resurrection without death. And so we've seen Jesus' death. And now we see the text as we prepare for that. We see his body taken down from the cross and taken and being laid in a tomb. Uh, there are a lot of things that go with this that we know about. They would have rolled a stone in front of the tomb to see that that was normal practice. We know that it was different this time because they asked that guards be placed there. But we don't have to worry about all of those details this morning. Just what I really want us to see is what Christ endured and what prepared for the things we're about to see on Resurrection Sunday. One thing that has stood out to me many times this week as I've looked at this text is some of the parallels between Jesus' humbling experience when he left heaven and became incarnate and was born as a baby and the experience that we see of him being humbled to the point of death, even death on a cross here, because we see in his incarnation when he leaves heaven and comes to earth, we see Mary taking him in her arms and wrapping him in swaddling cloths and lying him in a manger. And here we see him being taken in the arms of Joseph of Arimathea, being wrapped in linen cloths, and being laid, but this time not in a manger, but in a tomb. And there his body stayed until the third day. So these women 
had followed Joseph of Arimathea. They saw Jesus' body laid in the tomb. They saw all of these things take place, and then they went back. So that's the mindset that I want you to have this morning, because we, as we begin chapter 24 in just a moment, we're going to walk with these women through the events of the day of resurrection. And so this is our mindset. You are a follower of Christ. You have been following Him for years you have been excited about his teachings. You have seen his miracles. You have faith in him. You believe that he is truly God that has come to uh, human flesh, had come to earth in human flesh. You believe that he is everything that he says he is. You thought that he would lead you forever, and now you have seen him crucified and dead. You went all the way to the point of watching him be laid in the tomb, probably somewhat hoping the whole time that this wasn't actually real. And now you have gone home, and for a whole day, on the Sabbath day, on Saturday, you have rested, and you have probably wept uncontrollably. And now it's a brand new week, first day of the week. This is Sunday morning, and this is what we see happening. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And we'll stop a couple of times at the beginning of this text as we see, as we walk through these events. So these ladies go, and what are they doing? They prepared the spices. So this is a normal thing. They're not going because they expect Jesus to be alive and resurrected. We'll see that in the text in a moment. They're just doing a normal practice. Whenever you love someone and care for them, his body was anointed already with spices before they put him in the tomb. These ladies are going to put more spices. So we see that they prepared the spices. They got the spices and ointments ready. We saw that at the end of chapter 23. And so now they're gone. But when they get there, something's going on. Something's a little bit different because the stone that would usually be rolled to seal the tomb, they were told in some of the other gospel accounts that they were wondering how are we going to get that stone out of the way to anoint his body, has been moved. And so they find the stone moved, but what's even more perplexing to these women wasn't what they did find with the stone being moved, but it was what they didn't find. Look with me in verse 3. But when they went in... They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And in just a moment, we'll talk about these angels that show up. But we see here, we see that they didn't expect Jesus to be alive. One, because we see that they prepared spices and they prepared ointments, and you don't prepare those things for living people. You prepare those things for corpses, for the, the bodies of dead people. And so they've prepared these things and they've taken them with them. And when they get there and they go in, it says that they look and his body wasn't there. And the wording that Luke uses is they were perplexed. And so what is exactly is he saying? He's saying they were at a loss. They had no idea what was going on. They didn't understand, and they didn't know what to do. So point one this morning, Christ's followers were surprised by his resurrection. I want you to see that this morning. We see that in the text, and not only in these texts, in this text, and it's not only these women. If you read through Matthew and Mark and John, if you read the different gospel accounts, we see it's not just these women that are surprised, that are somewhat shocked, 
that are perplexed, that are at a loss for this. It's them and other followers and the apostles themselves. All of these people were surprised by this unexpected turn of events. Jesus, who they saw crucified, who they saw laid in this tomb, his body isn't there anymore, and they don't know what to do. They have no idea what's going on. And so God, being so rich in mercy, and God being so patient with us, didn't say, well, we've already told them, and if they don't remember, then too bad. No, he's very gentle with them and sent messengers. We see that in verse 4 again. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So God, again, being so patient with them, I feel like he has to do this with me many times. Right? There's something that I've read in Scripture. There's something that I know better than to do. But I find myself being anxious or worried about some circumstance that I can't control. I find myself not having the amount of faith that I should and... The Lord, in lots of different ways, maybe one of my children says something to me, maybe one of you says something to me, and all of a sudden, He reminds me of the truth of Scripture, that I should not be anxious, that I should not worry, that I can trust Him. And we see the same thing here. Jesus had told them they shouldn't have been surprised that Jesus came back from the dead, right? He told them, the angels even say, don't you remember He told you when He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man, that's what Jesus used to refer to Himself, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. So he's already told them that this was going to take place. This shouldn't have been shocking to them, but whether it was their lack of faith or whether it was just the, the whirlwind of emotions of the things that have gone on in the past few days, they didn't remember. But more than the angel's reminder uh, that Jesus had already told them this, I love the almost poetic form of what the angels say when they show up. They show up and they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? And it's just this, there's this picture to me, possibly because I live across the street from the cemetery, but whenever I see some of you come to the cemetery, it's because you have come to see the grave of your loved ones that have passed. I never see anyone pull up across the road and come over and knock on the door and say, hey, Brother Zach, where are my grandkids? They're not out here because people don't come to cemeteries to look for living people. And so what the angel says here is, why are you at a tomb looking for Jesus? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then just in case that didn't make things click, he tells them, he is not here. He has risen. Some of the most beautiful words that have ever been spoken. He is not here, but he has risen. And when he said he has risen, it's not like some strange form of uh, he got up. No, the wording means he has been recalled from death to life. They would have understood exactly what these angels were saying. He has been awakened from the sleep of death and is now alive. Point two. 
believe it or not, Christ has been resurrected. Second point, I believe it's the main point of this text, it's the title of this sermon, believe it or not. Whether these ladies believed it or not, whether you believe it or not, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you this morning, just as much as whether you believe today's Sunday or not, this is still Sunday, whether you believe it or not, Jesus has been resurrected. He really died, and he really came back to life. And it is really good news. Really good news. I'm, I'm excited. It's why we sang four songs about it, and two songs earlier about it, and why Robin and the praise team sang a, pray, a special song about it, because, brothers and sisters, it's true. This is huge news. This proves that he is everything that he said he was. It proves that we can believe that he is really God. It proves that he really has power not only over sin, but he has power over death. That he is literally stronger than death, and he is stronger than hell, and he is stronger than eternity. We're told that when he returns, that he will have the keys to death and Hades with him. We're told in 1 Corinthians that he is the first fruits, that his resurrection is the promise that all of us that have faith will also be resurrected. Brothers and sisters, this is a huge deal. This shows that He is the Chosen One, the Christ, the Messiah. This shows that He is the Alpha and the Omega. This shows that He is the Eternal Word who has been with God forever, who was never created, who has made everything that has ever been made, who holds everything together, and who is more powerful than sin and death and hell and anything else that you will ever encounter. He is that. And his resurrection proves it. It proves that we can believe everything that he has ever said. And whether you have understood it before or not, it's always been true. Whether you accept it right now or not, it is true. It is 100% completely factual. And the angels show us again, we've seen this many times throughout our, our walk through Luke coming to this point. But we've seen this, that, that this wasn't just an audible that happened. This wasn't that evil overcame Jesus and killed him, and then he had to some way come back, work his way back to life. But we see that this has been the plan all along. Right? The angel says, don't you know, don't you remember that he already told you that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise? Jesus tells us in John that he would lay down his life, that no one would take it from him and that he would then take it back up himself. This was God's plan for all of eternity. He has been completely in control of everything that's taken place. Every step of the way, he has been in control, and this seals it. This shows us for certain that that is true. He is still in control. And so, of course, the women, they can't keep it a secret, nor should they keep it a secret, so they go and they tell the disciples, the apostles, and let's see their reaction, picking back up in verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling. Excuse me, I sang too loud, I was too excited and I knew that I was going to be hoarse before it was over, but it's worth it. Brothers and sisters, here we see. So they go and they tell the apostles, 
And what do the apostles do? Do the apostles say, yes, we knew it. He told us it was going to happen and now it's come true. No, they didn't believe it either. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Again, we see Christ's followers so surprised, so shocked, so perplexed. And so Peter jumps up and he runs to the tomb to see what's going on. And he sees that his body's not there. And it says that he went home marveling at what had happened. Point three. Last point for this text this morning. Christ's resurrection is a perplexing and marvelous thing. And it is. The women saw and they were perplexed. And Peter saw and he marveled. And they are these things. But my favorite reaction... My favorite reaction to Christ's body not being in the tomb in all of Scripture is found in John chapter 20. You can turn there if you would like, or I believe we have this text for you. But in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, seeing the same account, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they, had taken the, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, the other disciple is John, went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And listen to verse 8. Then the other disciple, we're talking about John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Brothers and sisters, this is my favorite of the reactions. Jesus' resurrection and his body not being in the tomb, it is a perplexing thing. You imagine someone that you know dying and you going to the place that they're supposed to be buried and their body not being there. You would be at a loss. I would be at a loss. I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to do. Jesus' body not being in the tomb is perplexing. They were perplexed by this, and somewhat, in some ways, rightfully so. And whenever Peter went and saw, he marveled at it. And again, I'll say, rightfully so. It's a marvelous thing that this body that's supposed to be here of the Savior of the world, of God Himself, is not here anymore. And it is marvelous. And it is something to be marveled at. But more than it is something that should perplex us, and it's very perplexing to a lost world because what, what lost people understand, that you and I understand, is that usually when people die, they stay dead. But the difference is the lost people in this world, all they know is that when people die, they all stay dead. And what we know is that's not always the case. That there was at least one time that a man died and he came back to life. And it shows the promise that is going to happen more and that that man has the power to do it even more than just that one time. Jesus has shown us that. So it's perplexing to lost people. It should not be perplexing to us that Christ was not there. 
It is a marvelous thing, and we should marvel at the fact that Christ was not in the tomb. But more than we should be perplexed or more than we should marvel, we should believe because Christ was not in the tomb. We should be moved to faith. That's what we see happening here with John. When John got there and he looked in that tomb and he saw that Jesus' body was not there, he had faith. He believed everything that Jesus had said about himself. And brothers and sisters, that must be our reaction as well. As unbelievable as this is for lost people, if you believe that Jesus is truly God, and I do believe that, if you believe that Jesus is everything that he has said that he is, if you believe that when he says he's the Son of Man, that he's referring to himself as the one that we see in Daniel 7, who receives all authority and power over the kingdom to live and rule forever, if you believe that he is the one from Psalm 110 who sits at the right hand of God the Father and will judge all people, if you believe that he is the one in Revelation 1 that will come back with the keys to death and Hades, if you believe that he is the one from John 1 who is the eternal word, who has always existed and who will always exist, then you should not be surprised that he's not dead. Should not be surprised. Because he's God. It's not surprising that God can do God-like things. And so what must we do? If we can't just be perplexed, and if we can't just marvel, then what can we do? We can believe. We can believe with all of our heart. We can have faith in a way that changes everything about our life. The way we spend our free time, and the books we read, and the shows we watch, and the conversations that we have, and the way we spend our money, and the way we spend our vacation time, it can change every bit of that. Because when you believe that Jesus is God, brothers and sisters, your life takes on whole new meaning completely different than it was before. He changes us. He comes to live inside of us. He takes our old dead heart and gives us a brand new heart. Regeneration. We're born again. And we have faith. So this morning I ask you, is this for you a day that you come here, that you came here just because it's Easter and you need to come with your family to feel good? Is this the day that you've come here because you get to wear the nice clothes? Is this the day that you came because we're having donuts? And we do have some left over. You can have some more when we're done. Is this the day that you've come just because it's historical? Because we talk about what Easter means? Is it a day that you come because we sing good songs? Or is this the day that you come because you believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Has he used this text today to bring you to that point of belief? Has he worked inside of you and changed you and brought you to the point today that you say, before I came here, I didn't believe, but I believe now. I believe this is true, and I'm ready and willing to give my life to him. We need to respond in faith to the truth that Jesus is alive, but we also need to respond with worship and obedience and discipleship. So I ask you this morning, how it is that the Lord is calling you to respond to this truth? Is he calling you to respond in faith because you've never responded in faith before? But he has worked inside of you and he has changed you and he has, through his spirit, beckoned you and you are ready now to respond in faith. If he has brought you to that point today, praise the Lord. What an exciting day because Jesus' resurrection promises that everybody else that has faith in him will also be resurrected and will live forever. And will be free from the power of sin and death and hell 
for all of your life. And I want you to come and to share that in a moment so that we can celebrate with you and begin a conversation about what that looks like and what your next step should be. But I also pray that if you are here and you believe these things and you always believe these things, not always, but for a long time now you've believed these things, you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and you believe that he is truly alive, and you believe that he is truly God, then I pray that you respond with worship and obedience and discipleship, that your life does look different because you believe. It looks different than the lives of your lost friends. It looks different than the lives of your lost family members because it should, because Jesus' resurrection changes everything. I invite you to stand this morning. We are going to have a time of response. This morning we're going to sing a song that many of you have probably heard before, Because He Lives. And it's true, there are many things that are different because he lives. But if you need to respond in some particular way, if you need to spend some time praying and confessing to the Lord your sins and repenting because you have not lived the way that you should have lived, I invite you to do that while we sing. If you're here and you need to make it public that you have responded in faith to Christ, that you would come and share that, that we could celebrate with you. If you have questions, I would love to answer those questions. If you want someone to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you. But if you just want to celebrate that Jesus lives, then sing this song with us as we respond to the truth that Jesus is alive. God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because He lives, I can face to Tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he. I'll cross the river, I'll fight thy sky, no war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the 
just because he lives. Thank you. If you would be seated for just a moment, I have a couple of announcements that I need to make sure that you're aware of. If you didn't get a bulletin on your way in, if you would, grab one on the way out because uh, there's several announcements in there and I'm not going to go over all of the ones that are in there. Um, but I do first just want to say thank you for coming. I am thankful that you're here. It is so good to see uh, what looks much more like uh, normalcy. Uh, the church being full, many of you being here uh, between the services, walking around and fellowshipping and spending time with one another. You know, we didn't get to have Easter services here last year. Uh, it was online. And so, praise the Lord that we come together this year and celebrate Easter. So thank you for being here. If you're a guest with us, I do want you to remember that at the back table um, to your left, there are some cups back there. We'd love for you to have one of those. They have the Mount Zion logo on them, but inside of them they have some information of how you can keep up with us, website, Facebook page, Twitter, um, how you can get text reminders, all those sort of things. So grab one of those. We'd love for you to have that. I also want you to know that we don't only have Sunday morning services, but we do have Wednesday night services it's 6.30, and those are classes for all ages, from little ones all the way up through senior adults. Everyone has a class somewhere that they can be and something they can enjoy. So come join us as we worship corporately and study God's Word on Wednesday nights in smaller groups. We would love to have you come and join us for that. Uh, and we do also pray that we'll be beginning Sunday school soon. Uh, we haven't started just yet, so our Sunday morning services are regularly right now at 9.30. 9.30, we meet in here and have corporate worship. Uh, when we make the transition to Sunday school, that will be at 9.30. So if you put 9.30 in your schedule, you'll be here at the starting time each week. We do also, especially for our Mount Zion folks, we do have food pantry. That will be this Wednesday morning at 8.30. If you would like to volunteer or to help with that, to come and serve, we would love to have you come. There's a place for you to serve there. Uh, there's work that can be done. Uh, if you know for sure that you're going to come, if you would let myself or Brother Randall Lofton know, that way we can go ahead and kind of have things planned out. When you get there, we'll know uh, who's going to be there and where they can be. But if you can come and would like to come for that, come this, mor this Wednesday morning at 8.30. We do have donuts left over. I wasn't joking about that. Uh, and we're not taking them all to my house. So if you would like another serving, another helping of donuts, they are still over here at the fellowship hall. The juice is there. The milk is there. Go by, uh, grab you one, two, three, four, five donuts. Uh, take those with you. Enjoy those. Call it lunch and uh, enjoy that. Are there any other announcements? It is good to have you with us this morning. I'm so thankful you're here. I'm so thankful that Christ is alive. Amen. If y'all would stand and let's be dismissed with a word of prayer together this morning. Father God, you are so good and we are so unworthy. We're unworthy of your love and your goodness, but Lord, you have lavished it upon us anyways. Lord, we are unworthy that your son would have accepted all of the wrath for our sins on the cross, but he did it anyways. Father, thank you that Christ paid that ransom so that we could be free from sin and the power of sin and the slavery that we were enslaved to to sin before we came to him. Father, thank you that he also came back to life and that the promise is that when we are made new, 
that whenever we are made yours, that when we are your children, that when we have faith in you, that we have power over sin, Father, and that we will not be dead. That we may die from this earth, but that we will be resurrected to live forever with you. So, Father, we celebrate that. We celebrate who Christ is and what he has done. Thank you that we could be together to celebrate it this year. Father, I pray that you'd continue to allow us to think deeply on these things in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.